The home addresses of Supreme Court justices are posted online so people can't harass them. And a pro-family ministry in Wisconsin is firebombed and graffitied. Is this what civil discourse has finally come to in America? Plus, an up-and-coming young leader talks about the challenges facing Gen Z. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. You know, last week we talked about how within literally hours of this huge news about the Supreme Court leak, that there were posts on social media from leftists and abortion advocates calling for things like retaliation, street riots. I mean, you have blue check accounts on Twitter saying things like burn the whole place down just over and over. And of course, apparently I didn't see any of these posts getting suspended that I know of or their accounts taken down. So sadly, it seems like some people just actually took this as a literal call to action. Yeah, I, I got some disturbing news on uh, Sunday morning. I was sitting there and across my text came a, a, an email from, well, not even an email, like a text from my peer who does my job in Wisconsin at the Wisconsin Family Action. And she just let us know that there had been an attack on their office and showed us the pictures. And so literally what they had happened was somebody had thrown firebombs or whatever you call them through their window. Um, she said, thankfully, one of them didn't light. So the damage was not as bad as it could have been. But boy, when I looked at this office, you know, there's ash everywhere, glass everywhere, it went through the window. Um, and of course, the motive was written, graffitied on the wall. So on the wall was written, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. And so pretty, pretty disturbing stuff. And it wasn't long after that, that I then got an, a basically notification that this had happened right here in Virginia, not to the same degree, just the graffiti side, not the actual arson, but to a pregnancy resource center. The, the Manassas First Care Women's Health Center had actually had the same kind of graffiti and they had their messages on their walls were abortion is right. It's fake. It's a fake clinic. You know, they always accuse these things of not being legitimate medical places. And then liars was written on their wall. Yeah. And once again, it seems like we see the powers that be turning a blind eye to these attacks, the threats of violence, because maybe they're coming from a certain perspective. Is that why we're not taking action on any of this as far as I can see, um, you know, with uh, national leadership. And I mentioned just now how there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of monitoring coming from the social media site, even though we constantly hear this lip service all the time. Oh, we have to censor posts to protect people. So I'm not seeing that same level of, quote, protection with suspending accounts here. And then there's the president's press secretary, Jen Psaki, who actually appeared to be endorsing protesters outside the justices' homes. Let's just listen into that. So I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about uh, protests that have been peaceful to date. And we certainly continue to encourage that outside of judges' homes. And that's the president's position. Well, that clip just reminds me that I'm kind of glad she's on her way out the door and there's a new one coming in. Um, Although because, the new one might be scarier. Well, yeah, you never know. We don't know yet. Um, but, you know, it just... The downplaying of what's going on. You know, there's actually a, a law that says you can't intimidate justices. So there are people actually, in my opinion, violating federal law when they're picketing outside the houses. So it's it's really disturbing. And then to have the White House not even, let alone, you know, call for arrests of people who are intimidating justices, but really not even, that's not a condemnation. That's not a, this is a really bad thing and unsafe and creates an environment where our justices can't do what they're you know, what, what we what we intentionally have the highest court of the land to do, which is to stay outside the political dynamics right. that happen around our country. 
it was highly politicized what she was saying, and it almost sounded like cheerleading them on, like, keep it up. Yeah, you could definitely interpret that as, well, you know, it's kind of okay what you're doing. I, I, I'm disappointed. We have got to get back to a place where the law is the law, where it's enforced, where people are put back into appropriate ways of demonstrating their concern. I mean, there are we are a free speech country. There are lots of ways to express that. But graffiti, arson, and being outside a justice's home, that's not it. Yeah, we're, we're losing something when we start to exalt that uh, violent attack, shaming as a means of having ex- expressing our ideas. Um, but as you mentioned to me, Victoria, sadly, this is really nothing new. We've been seeing this kind of intimidation and even attempted violence start to build before in response to these moral issues with a lot at stake in our culture. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I mean, this is definitely not the first time. I think back to the incident that happened at Family Research Council where someone came in pretending to be a a Chick-fil-A delivery guy, and actually the intention was to shoot up the place. Their security guard actually saved the day in that case, and that was years ago. So this isn't new. And even between those that that and today, we also had an incident. This did not go super public on purpose, but we had the person that does my job in Delaware um, was in the heated battle of a marriage situation, right? So these these marriage laws, when you're dealing with gay rights issues and things like constitutional amendments or, or you know, policy around that, Defending they, can, they, can, they can be really, really aggressive on the other side. And she had her entire house shot up. Wow, um, her kids were inside. It was a really scary situation. And so you just think about um, why people can't control their disagreement and have it in a conversation rather than in violence. And that we are personalizing these things to a level of instead of being able to talk about, exchange ideas and have civil debates. These are public <laughs> policy differences. And yeah. it's important to keep that in mind. This is not personal. This is about what is best for our society. So devastating to continue to see these things happen today. And again, they're over different issues, but they're flashpoints, you know, things that are hot in our culture where people let their passions get control their actions. Well, being people of faith in all this, of course, we have confidence that God can turn even that kind of spiritual darkness into light. And that he does, in fact, turn what was meant for evil into good, as it says in the story about Joseph in the Bible. And we're already seeing that happen with the Wisconsin Family Action Center. They are getting unprecedented national cable news coverage of the good work they are doing. It's getting out more than it ever has before. I I think people are trying to support them with building back up the burn space in their offices. And here in our state in Virginia, it's also given us an opportunity to really encourage and embolden people to stay strong, right? Yeah, I think most importantly, it just reminds people, and we've been able to express this, it reminds people to pray for people that are on the front lines of these public policy battles. It reminds people to, to, that this is a spiritual battle, that it sometimes comes out in very fleshly ways, and there needs to be a prayer covering around everybody that is engaged in not just the pro-life movement, but the but all of these social flashpoint issues. We just need to be a very faithful body of believers that are holding these people up for their protection. And I loved what Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears said when she exhorted people to have courage at our March for Life rally. And I think that's a really timely word since we know we if if Roe v. Wade is overturned in the next few days, which, by the way, I should mention that this decision could come out any day now. It might even come out before this airs. Um, But if it is overturned, we are going to go into the next phase of this battle right here in Virginia. Some people are going to try to have Roe codified into our state law. And we are going to be pushing for pro-life laws like the Born Alive Bill. So this is going to continue to heat up. And I think um, God's people having courage and perseverance is a good word for right now. 
Thanks for tuning in if you're just now joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. For more information about us or the topics we're addressing, you can visit familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. Well, as mentioned in our opener, today we have a special treat for our audience. At one of our recent events, we featured an up-and-coming speaker, Isabel Brown, who has emerged as a powerful leader for the Gen Z generation. She's a contributor for Turning Point USA and outlets like PragerU. She speaks at college campuses all around the country and is frequently featured on channels like Fox News. She also recently published a book called Frontlines, Finding My Voice on an American College Campus. I really wish we had time to share her entire speech, but we only have time for a few highlights today. But we'll follow up with more next week. So without further ado, here is Isabel Brown. If you had told me several years ago I would be standing up here at a podium overlooking our beautiful nation's capital talking about a culture war or politics or what the next generation is going through in terms of public policy in our country, I would have said you were absolutely out of your mind, bonkers, crazy. I never dreamed of working in politics, being a spokesperson for just about anything, building a following on social media or going on national television all the time. My dream was to become a trauma surgeon. I loved science. I loved the intricacies of the human body. And I loved the pursuit of objective truth, which was really, to me, what science was all about. It was about discovering what we knew to be true versus what we had proven to be false, what generally the consensus about the origins of the universe and everything in how the human body worked and why this leaf on a tree mattered just as much as your life mattered, why all of that worked together for good and pointed back to the origins of our universe being God. I loved that pursuit of objective truth, which is why I decided to pursue a degree in biomedical sciences starting in 2015 in my backyard at Colorado State University. I assumed I would learn all of those things, that I would learn to distinguish what truth was versus a lie, that opinions and politics would have no place in my college classroom, but unfortunately was quickly proven wrong at the onset of my sophomore year during the 2016 presidential election when everything changed. To paint a picture for you, and I go into much depth of this in my book, which I know several of you have, thanks to the Family Foundation this evening, I showed up for my first class of the day, the morning after President Donald Trump had won the 2016 election, praise God, for a <laughs> Spanish medical language course. My minor was in Spanish language. I was showing up to learn the Spanish word for surgery or stomach or doctor. And my professor strolled into class 25 minutes late to a 50-minute lecture, wearing head-to-toe all black with a black lace veil artfully draped over her face, bawling her eyes out. And I laughed. Like many of you, I laughed. Like, this couldn't possibly be happening. It was real. And I, I suppressed my laughter for a moment because in between her sobs and her grieving, she said in English, I might add for a Spanish class, I never got that tuition money back for the time that I lost of Spanish instruction. We are gonna be postponing all of the curriculum today and for the rest of the week and honestly for the rest of the semester. I know finals are coming up, but I can't imagine the emotional trauma that you guys must be dealing with because of my generation. My generation did this to you you, a bunch of middle America, middle-aged white supremacists elected a Nazi, a white supremacist to the Oval Office of the United States. And I just can't express my condolences enough that my generation did this to you. 
And I, I was laughing and then I was shocked and that shock turned to disappointment when I looked around the classroom and I noticed every single other student in that classroom either crying alongside with the professor or nodding along like a robot almost in unison to everything my professor was saying. So yes, many of them didn't end up taking the final. We were reminded of our free counseling resources to deal with the emotional trauma on campus. Puppies would be provided in the student center if you had to pet them the whole nine yards, but it didn't end there. That was the model with the black lace veil for every single class I took that day in both liberal arts and biomedical sciences. And for the rest of my time in college, my experience wasn't about the pursuit of objective truth. It was about my professor's political opinions. So I decided to do something about it. And I ran for student government when I was a sophomore in college, representing the College of Veterinary Medicine and Biomedical Sciences, not really having to do much with political science or what party you happen to vote for, but quickly got a reputation on campus for being that conservative girl and uh, very much isolated and ostracized myself from my peers and was uh, constantly up against this cultural battle, not just, hey, I'm a young person, shockingly, who voted for the orange guy to go sit in the Oval Office, but <laughs> I believe in objective truth and I don't like the direction that this is going in because I see the results that it could have. But when we're talking about the future fight for America, we're not talking about politics anymore. And we have to broaden our perspective beyond Democrat versus Republican, or even liberal versus conservative, or socialist versus reasonable human being. These conversations <laughs> have to be about our culture. And Andrew Breitbart is famous for saying that politics is always downstream from culture. But to be honest with you, I think the conservative movement, as we know it, Conservative Inc. with a capital C, has made a mistake in the last decade or so turning towards politics as the solution to the problems our country has been facing. It's why we're constantly on defense trying to pass laws that go against cultural narratives or trying to institute policies that go against what we see in entertainment or in the church or in education, when in reality, those are the places we should have been in the first place. So Victoria asked me to share with you all this evening a bit of a state of the union on all things cultural that are affecting generations. Z. I will say up front, bear with me, it's going to seem very doom and gloom, but I promise there is hope at the end. But I think it is so important for us as Americans, and especially for you as parents and grandparents, to have an accurate understanding of what the next generation is going through. We are no longer talking about Democrat control of the White House or Congress. We're no longer talking about the need to go volunteer for your local Republican Party and knock doors and make phone calls. All of those things are so important. But what we are talking about with generations Z is a reality that is completely flipped upside down. Something that looks the exact opposite of what you may have experienced when you were my age at 24 or even 23, 22, 18, 16 years old. We're gonna go through everything that Gen Z is experiencing, but I want you to hang with me because there is so much reason to have hope. And that is because Generation Z really truly is the next great generation. Well, sadly, we'll have to stop right here for today, but you'll want to join us next week when we allow some more time for Isabel Brown to go into even deeper the specific challenges that face Gen Z and how families can help strengthen that generation to have a redemptive impact on our nation. And we'll also be bringing you the latest updates on what's happening in Virginia, so don't miss it. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia. Brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org.
See you next time, and don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.